Guys, I just spilt my weed. Ah! I spilt it all over me. Now I'm covered in weed. I'm covered in marijuana. Anyways, hey Cats, welcome back to another episode of Intoxicated. I'm your host, Kelsey Davies, and I am here by myself. I don't know why I feel like I need to sing that every single time, but I'm here with Lola. I guess I'm not completely by myself. Lola is my haunted doll. She is currently pulling a Michael Jackson. She is doing like this little tilt. I couldn't prop her stand up properly. Prop her stand up properly. Couldn't do that. I don't know if that's a pun or not, but no pun intended. Um, but I couldn't stand her up, so I'm trying to. She just... Okay, there. Oh, nope. She wants to go back. All right. Lola's in a leaning mood today. She is doing the... What was it called? Is it just called the lean? The Michael Jackson move where he goes forward and his feet are like... I think he had like magnets in, or so, I don't remember how he did it. It was, or nails or something like that would, his shoes would attach on and then he would lean forward. Yeah, okay, anyways, the lean, the lean move. That's what Lola's doing. I don't know why I had to get into depths with the move, but I guess it was important. Um, I am smoking a sativa, so that is my intoxicated choice of the night. It is, I actually spilt it all over myself before starting this episode. Guys, I just spilt my weed. Ah! I spilt it all over me. So I gotta kind of repack it a little bit. Um, but it is a sativa, so I think it's called tropical fruit or something? Tropical, yeah, something like that. It's something good and yummy and, yeah, marijuana-y. It's very nice. But it does make me really chatty, so th it's good for this episode because I'm by myself. I, I always say this, but doing episodes by yourself is so difficult. I have to keep on track. I have to keep my mind going. I don't have, you know, someone else to rely on. If I'm just, like, blanking out, then it's just silent, you know? Like, it's all me today. So I have a lot of pressure on me, guys. A lot of pressure. But I just released some new Halloween merch, so go make sure you check it out. I got really, really high as usual, and I designed it. I, I, I am really proud of it. I thought I think I did really good on it. I made like a Lola tarot card themed with like mushrooms in the back, and I just made it kind of like, kind of spooky but kind of funky tarot card for Halloween. I don't, yeah, it's, it's a good one. So go check it out. The link is down below. Should be in the description of anywhere you're listening to this podcast, or if you are watching this podcast live on YouTube, you can find it down below in the description for sure on YouTube. My YouTube channel is K-E-L-S-I-D-A-V-I-E-S, -E -E and you guys can follow me on other social medias, on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. You can get sneak peeks of things I'm releasing, sneak peeks of, you know, intoxicated episodes and whatnot, and all that goody, good stuff, awesomeness. Those handles are K-E-L-S-I-I-D-A-V-I-E-S-S. If you guys want to go follow me, I would really appreciate it. It makes me more in contact with you guys. I like when... You know, there's some people who comment on everything and I, I notice you guys and I'll follow you and you're just awesome, like, friends. Like, we love it. Awesome friends, supporters, intoxicated stoners, all you guys. You're amazing. So, on the last episode, we ended talking about insane asylum methods that they would use to kind of try to help people. Well, they thought they was helping people. Therapeutic type of... Uh, 
therapy that they would do therapeutic type of therapy yeah that's it right there <laughs> exactly what i just said that is how high i am um i'm just gonna start reading now so we ended talking about insulin coma therapy and i'm just gonna go back into it a little bit so this began in 1927 and a physician named manfred sackel sackle Sackel accidentally gave one of his diabetic patients an insulin overdose. It sent her into a coma, but what could have been a major medical faux pas? I don't know what that means. Um, turned into a triumph. Oh, okay, I guess this is a good thing that happened. The woman, a drug addict, woke up and declared her morphine craving gone. Interesting. So, but then that makes me think, I'm like, what else did it affect besides just that? You know, it, it could have affected some other things. Later, the doctor, later the physician made the same mistake with another patient. I find it hard to believe he made the same mistake twice. Um, who also woke up claiming to be cured. Before long, the physician was initially intentionally testing the therapy with other patients and reporting a 90% recovery rate, particularly among schizophrenics. Strangely, however, his treatment success remains a mystery. Huh. Presumably a big dose of insulin causes blood sugar levels to plummet, which starves the brain of food and sends the patient into a coma. But why this unconscious state would help psychiatric patients is anyone's guess. Regardless, the popularity of insulin therapy faded mainly because it was dangerous and slipping someone into a coma is no walk in the park. But that's like really interesting. Between 1 and 2% of treated patients died as a result. Huh, so this is one that... Oh my gosh, Tito. So this is one that actually worked, um, which is good because the other ones were very torture-like and they, I mean, I think they worked, but in a bad manipulative way, you know, kind of like brainwashing type things and shock therapy and just, uh, they would do horrible things to people. This one's called trepanation. Ooh, this one's interesting and it kind of goes with the theme of today's episode. So today's episode's gonna be a little bit dark. It could get it could get a little bit graphic, so listener or viewer discretion is advised. So this is a technique that started in ancient times. I think they used this on Egyptians, is what this picture kind of showcases. Ancient life was not without its hazards, that's for damn sure. Between wars, drunken duels, and the occasional run-in with inadequately domesticated pig, it's no surprise that archaic skulls tend to have big holes in them. I didn't know that, I guess they find these skulls with big holes in them, what? But not holes are, <laughs> but not holes, but not all holes are created with Equal abandon. Okay, I don't know what that means. All right, they're just going into the holes. Um, <laughs> through the years, archaeologists have uncovered skulls marked by a carefully cut circular gap, which shows signs of being made long before the owner of the head had passed away. So this person just had a freaking hole in their skull? These fractures were no accident. They were the result of one of the earliest forms of psychiatric treatment called trepanation. 
the basic theory behind this therapy, they put it in quotations, holds that insanity is caused by demons lurking inside of the skull. So they believe that there was a demon in the skull that had to be released. So it says, as such, putting a hole into the patient's head creates a door in which the demons can escape. Ooh, I don't know about that. I don't know if that would like... I feel like a demon wouldn't just get stuck in the skull. I feel like it would attach to the energy of the person and the whole being of that person. But to have like a little... I'm just imagining like a little tiny demon like running around a skull. Kind of like Spongebob when he was like... He would always go into his brain and it always bugged me when I was little. Because I was like, that would hurt if he was like poking at the brain and stuff. They would always... I don't know, Spongebob would always do a lot of things with the brain that were kind of like disturbing. <laughs> they Now that I think about it, they, like Plankton would shove things in like Spongebob's brain and like control him and stuff like that. Yeah, that stuff like, I don't know, anything with like the brain or like um, organs. I like graphic movies and gory movies, like I'm fine with that. But when they like touch them and stuff, it just gives me like the ick, I don't know. Despite the peculiar, <laughs> despite the peculiarity, <laughs> I can't pronounce things, guys. Despite the peculiarity of the theory, there we go, and lack of major league anesthetics, trepanation was no means a limited, a limited phenomenon. From the Neolithic era to the early 20th century, cultures all over the world used it as a way to cure patients of their ills. Doctors eventually phased out the practice as less invasive procedures were developed. Average Joes, on the other hand, didn't follow all follow. Trepanation patrons still exist. What? They still do this? In fact, they even have their very own organizations. So people still do this. I guess it's a, a belief and if it works, I don't know how that, I don't know. That's really interesting. I mean, anything's possible. Maybe they do have a little, a little demon in their brain or something that they release. What do you guys think? Let me know in the comments because I have not heard of that one. That one's very interesting. This next one is rotational therapy. Okay, so the logic of this one was basically that sleep could cure disease and that spinning around really fast was a great way to induce slumber. I didn't know that. I guess it would with the gravity and it, I guess people kind of pass out sometimes if that happens. So I guess that would kind of make you sleep. He believed that spinning would reduce brain congestion and in turn cure mental illness. All right, he was wrong. <laughs> Instead, he just ended up with dizzy patients. These days, rotating chairs are limited to the study of vertigo. So they still do this? They just spin you around in this chair? That'd be kind of fun. I kind of want to do that. There's so many weird techniques and different therapeutic things that they used to do that were really... I don't know. I talked about it in the last episode. If you want to hear some fucked up shit, like it was in the last episode... But we are actually going to get into some fucked up shit. And I just started watching, I, 
just started watching and finished. I binge watched it. I t- I finished it. The new series with Jeffrey Dahmer. So it's starring Evan Peters. And oh my God, Evan Peters is incredible. I was scared of him in this show. He is just such a gifted actor. And it was so interesting. This whole show, it's made by the creators of American Horror Story, but it was made to detail. And it shows the people who were killed, the victims, the families. It doesn't just show Jeffrey Dahmer. Like it shows the entire story and graphic things that actually happened. Oh my gosh, it just, it gives me chills. If you guys haven't seen it, you should check out the new Netflix series. It's just called Dahmer. And it's like 10 episodes, I think, but they're all out. They're all released. You don't have to wait for any. So you can go binge watch it if you want to. But I'm going to get into the actual story of Jeffrey Dahmer. And everything I'm reading is depicted in the show in great detail. So it's, yeah, it's pretty crazy. All right, let's get into it. It kind of showed him growing up, what maybe caused it. But it's, I don't know, it's such like a... It's such a mystery as to how his brain got, like, I don't know. It's like he lacked empathy or lacked a certain something, some sort of personality trait or something. But I guess they didn't get to look into his brain. They didn't get to study it, but we'll get into that later. That's another segment of this podcast, which will be very interesting. So let's just go into, let's just go into Jeff, Jeffrey Dahmer. So it says, notorious serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer shocked the world when he was arrested in 1991 as much, sorry, I'm laughing, my cat's tail is in my, in my face. Tito, he has to lay on me right now. Okay, notorious serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer shocked the world when he was arrested in 1991 as much for the heinous crimes he committed against his victims as for the fact he killed 17 men and boys over more than 13 years without capture. And this is really interesting because he was super, it seems like he was pretty sloppy about the way he did things. He was drunk half the time, like he was hammered most of the time. I think he did have an alcohol abuse problem or something. And he would be drunk during half of these situations. And I think there was some where he didn't remember doing it which is so scary to me he was described as well-mannered soft-spoken and pleasant in appearance Dahmer barely escaped arrest on multiple occasions during his murderous spree um, in which he lured men often to society's fringes back to his home where he would kill and perform acts of necrophilia and cannibalism with their remains Yeah, um, messed up stuff. Often preserving their body parts as mementos. It's just insane. So uh, we're going to go into a timeline of everything that happened. I'm not just going to brush over this because there's a lot in detail that I didn't know about this case. I think I've talked about it briefly, but I knew he killed, you know, all these boys. I knew he killed these men. I knew that... I think I knew about the cannibalism and the murders, but I didn't know the depths of everything the show brought up and the fact that the police were called multiple times by Glenda, his neighbor, 
and no one like she literally was like he's killing people in there my my cat's playing with his ball right now tito do you have to play with your ball right now um but she called them multiple times over a span of a year i think because she had a foul smell coming from her, like his apartment and she would hear like uh, I think saws and stuff and drills and stuff like that. And then she would hear people screaming, like literally heard people being murdered, called multiple times and the police never showed up. It was, it's just so messed up. Like it, it's mind blowing how he got away with all of this because he wasn't strategic. He wasn't, I mean, he was a little bit for sure, but I thought he was like this mastermind like Dexter where he knew about all the evidence and all the, you know, everything. No, he was so messy. He just, he just got lucky. I don't know why, but I don't know what, what that was with the universe. Like it was just on his side for some reason for that long messed up stuff. Um, in June 1978, Dahmer killed his first victim. So he said, I always knew that it was wrong. The first killing was not planned. This one was by accident. Um, accident in quotations. He said, I was coming back from the shopping mall back in 78. I had fantasies about picking up a hitchhiker and taking him back to the house and having complete dominance and control over him. The hitchhiker was 18-year-old Stephen Hicks, Dahmer's first victim. Dahmer took Hicks to his parents' house in Ohio where he strangled and beat him with a barbell before dismembering the body and placing it in trash bags. No one, no one ever had a clue as to what was happening for over a decade, is what De uh, Dahmer said. Dahmer would not murder again until 1987. In the intervening years, he had joined the army and was stationed for a time in Germany, eventually being discharged due to the problems with excessive drinking. Of those nine years without a victim, Dahmer said the urge was always there, and what he lacked were the right circumstances. So he had this urge to... It was weird. He would like to cuddle with the bodies and... it. Uh, uh, just like really weird things and they show it all in the show like he would cuddle with them naked and do just I guess he would you know have sex with the bodies which is so disturbing like that takes a sick minded person to be able to do that Ugh. it just gives me the chills there just wasn't an opportunity to fully express what I wanted to do there was just not the physical opportunity to, to do it then. So that's the only reason he didn't do it while he was in the army. But he thought about it like the, uh. And then, okay, in September 1981, Dahmer returns to Ohio following a military discharge. Dahmer briefly returned to Ohio to live with his parents following his military discharge, but was arrested for drunk and disorderly conduct for which he was fined and received a suspended jail sentence. So he already has a record going. Hoping his grandmother would be a tempering influence on their son's ongoing drinking, Dahmer's parents sent him to live with her in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And it shows in the show like Dahmer's mom was not really there for him. She kind of left him. I don't know if that's how accurate that is, but the dad was a little bit 
neg- was like emotionally neglectful, but he was still kind of there for him. He just did not notice. I mean, he didn't pay enough attention to notice that his son really was doing some awful things. In 1982, Dahmer was arrested for indecently exposing himself at a Wisconsin state fair. Dahmer was convicted and fined $50. So he gets arrested again for doing some... I mean, he says that he was peeing or something, but like people said he was jerking it in the middle of a fair. Just weird. Um, Yeah, he was arrested for masturbating in front of two boys, and he told the authorities he was urinating, Uh, which there was another one. There's another chance they could have caught him. Um, I guess they didn't have evidence and stuff like that, but like, it's just crazy. He was right in front of the cops and he's killing all these people. I wonder what went through his mind. September 1987, after taking Stephen Toomey, 24 years old, back to the hotel room, Dahmer says he awoke to the following morning, finding Toomey dead alongside him in bed. So he didn't remember killing this guy. Dahmer would later tell authorities that he only planned on drugging Toomey and had no recollection of beating him to death with his fists. Placing the body in a suitcase, Dahmer transported it to his grandmother's basement. His grandma's house. Like, you want some cookies and tea? It's like, no, he's like putting a dead body in her fucking basement. Like, fuck. Um, A week later, so he left it there for a week to rot in his grandmother's basement, and then he dismembered it and placed it in the trash, except for the head, which he retained a further week before boiling it in industrial detergent and bleach, eventually pulverizing the brittle skull. Damn. All in his grandmother's basement. Like, fuck, if I was the grandma and I found, I would move out. There's no way. I mean, that shit had to be, like, that energy, she had to have felt something. I don't know. That's just crazy. October 1987, Dahmer brought 14-year-old, 14-year-old James Doxtater, I might have said that, that wrong, to the basement of his grandmother's house. Like, his poor grandma. After promising him, well, of course, the poor 14-year-old. After promising him $50 in exchange for posing for nude photos. After drugging him, Dahmer strangled him, disposing of the body in a similar fashion that he did with the man before. Oh, man. Then in March 1988, he meets Richard Guero outside of a Milwaukee gay bar. Dahmer offered, I think it was Club 219. I think I could be wrong. I know there's Club 219. Um, After drugging Guerra with sleeping pills, Dahmer strangled him before performing sexual acts on the corpse. This time, Dahmer dismembered the body within 24 hours, but hiding his killings and the dismemberments was becoming increasingly difficult. Yeah, I mean, you kill how many people so far? Four? Four people? Three so far? 
like, yeah, it's gonna, it's, you're gonna get caught, dude. Or you would think. Then in September 1988, he was arrested for sexual assault. Dahmer's grandmother had become annoyed with him bringing men to her house late at night and with the foul smells emanating from the basement. Again, with the smells. The grandma smelt it too. Like, he was messy. He didn't cover it up well. They literally smelt it. And then he said, oh, it was bad meat. Oh, it was like bad me i cook something bad as always what his excuse was um so she eventually told him that you need to move out good for grandma standing up for herself within days of securing a one-bedroom apartment Dahmer was arrested and charged with second degree sexual assault and enticing a child for immoral purposes after luring 13 year old kizan oh my gosh i cannot this is the longest last name Synthesomphone back to his apartment where he drugged and molested the boy before his intended victim escaped, taking his story to the police. Dahmer spent a week in jail before being released on bail. Like they let him go. It gets worse. This isn't even the worse it gets. Like it, it is just crazy. Then, in March 1989, aspiring model Anthony Sears, 24 years old, became Dahmer's fifth victim after they met at a bar. Dahmer, fearing his apartment was being watched by the police, brought Sears to his grandmother's basement to be drugged and strangled. What? He literally got kicked out of his grandma's house, came back to put a dead body down there. Get out of your grandma's house! Stop killing people! Ah, this is crazy. I just, I didn't realize how bad it was. Like, I knew he was bad, but oh my god. Sears was the first victim to whom Dahmer took trophies, storing and preserving Sears' head and genitals, which he kept in a wooden box. For a time, he stored the box in his work locker. <sighs> he literally brought it to work what the fuck then in may 1989 he was sentenced to 12 months of jail time and five years of probation for second degree sexual assault Dahmer was permitted work release in order to keep his job at a mixer at ambrosia ambrosia's chocolate factory he worked at a chocolate factory this is like willy wonka from hell while also being Required to register as a sex offender, paroled from jail two months early, Dahmer rented an apartment at 924, 924 North 25th Street in Milwaukee. Damn, dude. Okay. In May 1990, just months after being released from jail, Dahmer killed Raymond Smith, a 32-year-old prostitute that he had offered $50 for sex. Back in the day, $50 was was a good amount. I mean, it wasn't... It, it was like a good amount back then. It, the money's different. Ah, Tito. After drugging Smith at his apartment, Dahmer strangled him with his hands before taking Polaroid pictures of the corpse in suggestive poses. Dismembering the body in his bathroom, Dahmer boiled the remains, dissolving them in a container of acid except for his skull. 
which he kept in a cabinet alongside Sears' skull. Oh, the man before. So he just, like, put them in a cabinet together and put them on display. When neighbors complained of the smell emanating from his apartment, Dahmer told them his refrigerator was broken and that he was waiting to get it fixed and that the meat got bad. That's what I was talking about. Then in June 1990, after killing 27-year-old Edward Smith, he attempted to retain the body by keeping it in a freezer for several months. The frozen corpse was eventually discarded, with Dahmer telling authorities that he was upset that he did not get to keep any of Smith's body part due to degradation? Degradation? What? Degradation? Degradation in the freezer. Maybe that's like, oh, degradation. <laughs> Guys. <laughs> D I think it's like literally like it started rotting in the freezer basically. Then in September of 1990, Ernest Miller, 22 years old, had had his throat slashed after being promised money to join Dahmer in his apartment as he was doing. A lack of sleeping pills forced Dahmer to change his method of killing. Ooh, so he ran out. Dahmer kept parts of Miller's body to eat. Something he was doing increasingly, and he painted and displayed Miller's head in his apartment. Ugh. Three weeks later, Dahmer killed 22-year-old David Thomas. Later, he said he came to realize during their encounter that he was not attracted to Thomas, but he still drugged and killed him. Then disposed of his body, intentionally not keeping any parts because he didn't Think he only did it to people he thought were beautiful or attractive. Oh my gosh. February 1991, Dahmer picked up 17-year-old Curtis Strotter at a bus stop offering him money in exchange for nude photos. Dahmer continued his rituals with his 10th victim. Offers cash to a stranger. Oh my god. Offered the cast. I can't speak. Offered the cash to a stranger drugging and strangling his victim before taking photos, dismembering, and keeping body parts for cannibalism and trophies. Dahmer said that eating his victims was a compulsion and a way of making me feel like they were a part of me. Mm, no. No. Now, it's April 1991. After drugging 19-year-old Errol Lindsay, Dahmer drilled a hole in his skull into which he poured hydrochloric acid in an attempt to produce what Dahmer would describe as a zombie-like state in his victim. So he would give them, like, sleeping pills so they wouldn't feel anything, but he still, he literally poured acid into their like part of their brain to make them like a zombie so they couldn't even do anything Lindsay regained consciousness before Dahmer drugged him further and then strangled him and flayed the corpse with the intention of retaining Lindsay's skin man then in May 1991, a month later, Dahmer's next victim, this is like turning into, I mean, he went from whoops to, oh, I kind of liked that and 
and then just started killing people. It's like, I always wonder how their brain works to be able to even do that or think that. I would never even think about killing a human being. Like, it's just something so mind-bottling to me as to how these people just do that. There has to be something. I'm like, there has to be something wrong in the brain. I don't, it's just, I don't understand. May 1991, Dahmer's next victim, 31-year-old Anthony Hughes, was dead but still intact on the floor when he lured 14-year-old Konarak. So he already had someone dead in his floor, hadn't disposed of them yet, and then decided to keep going and get another one while this one's already- like, he got sloppy. After photographing and drugging him, Dahmer again tried to render his victim brain dead by drilling into his skull and inserting the acid, leaving the drugged body alongside Hughes's corpse while he left the apartment for a few hours. They just left him there. Like what? He probably went to get more alcohol or something. Returning in the early hours of the following morning, Dahmer discovered a groggy, uh, they're saying his last name Sin Synthosomophone. Okay, so basically Dahmer came back and he sees this man sitting outside with three women huddled around him. So like he had gotten out of the apartment, he had walked down in this zombie-like state, walked down there, and these three women were trying to make sure he was okay, his head was bleeding, you know, they, they were concerned. He then told them that it was his friend, and he tried to lead the boy back to the apartment, but the women informed that they had already called the police. So the police come, this man's about to be murdered, there's already a dead man in his apartment. And when the police came, he convinced them that this boy, who was 14 years old, was actually his 19-year-old boyfriend and that he was drunk, and they believed him. And the cops literally escorted this, this boy, who was 14 years old, escorted him back into the building, into his apartment. Like, what? He literally led them there. Yeah, so all they asked, like, they were like, does he have an ID? And he's like, no, he lost it, you know, it was just lying. And so the way that they were like, oh, we believe you is because he had Polaroids, you know, he had taken the sexy photos of him or whatever and had these Polaroids there and showed them, oh, look, this is my boyfriend. We were goofing around, you know, but in reality, could you imagine what those cops thought after? Like, they were probably like, oh, fuck, like we fucked up. They literally led him back inside to get murdered. That is insane to me. And they also noted that it had a strange odor in the apartment. They also said that, but didn't do anything. So then once he was returned to the apartment, the police left. He drilled into the kid's head, injected it with acid, this time with fatal results, killed him. And by a strange coincidence, this kid was the younger brother of a boy that Dahmer had molested in 1988. A crime for which he was convicted, so it was like a, co a weird coincidence that he had gone after the younger brother. 
Then, 1991, Dahmer met 20-year-old Matthew Turner in Chicago and persuaded him to travel to Milwaukee for a photo shoot. Once again, did the same thing, killed him, keep, kept the head and internal organs in plastic bags in his freezer. And then from July 7th through 19, 1991, three more victims were killed. So he was getting carried away. He was like, oh my God, no one's caught me. The police have literally escorted, like, it's like they're handing him what he wants. It's, oh my gosh, what do you guys think of that? Like, let me know because this is, I'm sorry, I'm getting so into this because it's just crazy. It's crazy. There were so many opportunities to arrest this man. Yeah, and okay, so they're going into, you know, Jeremiah Weinberger, who was 20. Um, so Jeremiah Weinberger was 20 years old and a weekend away at his apartment in Milwaukee. Dahmer did not commit the murder until the day following their arrival when Weinberger voiced his intent to leave. Days later, after agreeing to pose nude, 24-year-old Oliver Lacey accompanied Dahmer in the back of his apartment where Lacey was drugged and then administered chloroform over the course of a day in an attempt to render him alive, but unconscious. After strangling Lacey, Dahmer had sex with the corpse, storing the head and heart in the refrigerator and the skeleton in a freezer. Four days after murdering Lacey, Dahmer was fired from his job. The same day, Dahmer lured Joseph Braidhoft, 25 years old, to his apartment, strangling him and laying the body on the bed where it remained for two days. He then placed Braidhoft's head in the refrigerator. Then, finally, July 22nd, 1991, two Milwaukee police officers were flagged down by an agitated man with handcuffs attached to one wrist. This man's name was Tracy Edwards. He was 32 years old, and he told the officers that a, quote, freak, I agree, had placed the handcuffs on him and that he spent the better part of his evening trying to escape from a nearby apartment where he was being held captive. So finally, someone escapes with handcuffs on their wrists, the wrists, with handcuffs on their wrists, flags the police down, then they listen. Then they go, okay, maybe we should look into this. Because, like, shit. No fucking shit, police. I'm all mad at these police officers. <laughs> Dahmer had met Edwards earlier that day and persuaded him to accompany to his apartment. Same thing. When he walked in the apartment, he immediately just had, you know, he the apartment stank. It smelled like freaking rotting flesh. So he walked in there, he goes, dude, your apartment stinks. Like, I'm uncomfortable here. Tries to leave, and then he gets handcuffed. Yeah, he also saw stacked boxes of the hydraulic acid, and then said that Jeffrey tried to place handcuffs on him. So he, yeah, and then Dahmer held a knife to him and was like, you need to take nude photos, do his thing, his ritual is what they call it. And then the police ask to enter the apartment. They walk in there and they find all these Polaroid pictures of all the men he killed. I actually saw these online and they're very, very disturbing. It's just unremarkable what he did. It's just, I don't even know if that's the right word. It, it was just graphic, gruesome, horrible way to, I don't know, like, 
it just it was awful to see that it's like they're he would lay them like art he would lay them like art pieces and use their you know their ribs and pull them out of the body and they're it's just mm, if you want it yeah i don't suggest seeing the crime scene photos but they're literally on google and they're very very disturbing so Dahmer was arrested obviously they found all all the shit in there every skull every genital they found all all these things in there and Dahmer stated that he was not glad that he liked his lifestyle but he found it exciting and thrilling he was sentenced to 16 consecutive life terms and he was later killed by a prison inmate named Christopher Scarver in 1994. So, yeah, because they didn't have the death penalty. So he just was going to spend his the rest of his life in prison. He was getting fan mail. He was getting sent, you know, from people who like serial killers, which I think is really, really weird. Um, he was getting sent all that mail, money, you know, he was like a... A well-known serial killer now so he kind of was doing okay in jail and I think he got baptized and everything and then they uh, that man eventually killed him but it's just crazy to me how long it took for this man I mean to get caught to like they didn't even mention in that article Glenda who was the neighbor who had literally called the police like 50 times you know like telling them this man's murdering people so in the show they get into a lot of different details of the neighbors the people who lived there the people who were in contact with him his parents they get into all of that and it's so interesting i really suggest you watch it um but i want to boost the mood a little bit because that that is some dark shit I want to give you guys a tarot reading. Let's do this. Read some tarot. There were other serial killers I wanted to get into, but that I didn't realize like how long that would take because there were a lot. All right, let's pull some tarot. It looks like you're moving forward some sort of argument or some sort of disagreement that you had from you know, if, if this resonates with you, let me know. This could be for you, maybe not, or maybe it's for someone you know, but it seems like you're moving forward past, you know, like there, there was an issue with someone, but you're both moving past it. You're both going on your own paths. Maybe you're not friends with this person anymore. Maybe you're not in contact with this person right now, which is good because I feel like there was a lot of judgment in that relationship. I feel like there was a lot of, um, you know, there were things that were one-sided in it. There were things that just were not working out with communication. Um, I feel like I feel like this person just wasn't wasn't right for you, and you knew this. So make sure you trust your intuition, trust your gut, your gut feeling that this is the best thing for you, and this person doesn't need to be in your life because you you are gonna thrive without them basically you're gonna come into your energy it'll take a little bit but you're gonna come into this you know energy where you're able to see things from a more optimistic standpoint you'll have a lot of options you'll have a lot of things around you surrounding you a lot of different decisions and the past things that were disappointing to you they honestly have made you stronger and they will make you 
um, able to achieve your goals. They will add that strength that you were needing, that your soul was needing. And you're going to have a lot of wish fulfillment. You're going to have things just going your way. Things are just going to start picking up. We're almost through Mercury retrograde. Ends on October 2nd. So we're out of that retrograde. And you're going to get your good karma. Your good karma. I mean, karma, whether it's good or bad, there is karma coming. So, I mean, regardless if it's good or bad karma, it's meant to happen for you. It's meant to be. So just let it happen. Let it be. And breathe. Just breathe through it. You can make it. You can do it. I kind of want to... I want to pull some cards for Jeffrey Dahmer. Guys, I'm doing a serial killer tarot card reading. Are we ready? Let's see what comes out for Jeffrey Dahmer. Whoa. Ugh. Okay, Jeffrey Dahmer's cards. Are you ready, guys? All right, so it shows that he was working really hard on his craft, which I mean murdering people and hiding it and doing all that. He was. He felt like he was he was working really hard at that and fulfilling his needs he was lacking this sort of there's a lack of like this um this feeling of i don't know if it's a nurturing feeling there was a lack of you know i feel like he he didn't have a lot of friends i kind of show that in the show like it's like there was a lack of um having a friendship or having a relationship or being able to have some sort of connection it seemed like there was a lack of that. And he, I don't know, he thought what he was doing was good for him. He genuinely thought it was something that was fulfilling for him, something that he could move forward doing, something that would bring him opportunity. Um, because he had a lot of options in front of him. Like he literally had so many options right in front of him that he was able to choose from and it made him feel empowered in a way and he felt like he was empowered and in that that energy of being feeling like he's doing what he needs to do for himself that nurturing energy it's like he was nurturing something in himself with that oh man yeah that's just i mean it explains it i guess Ugh. All right, we're going to spice it up a little bit. I want to get into... There's another serial killer I want to get into, but I think I'm going to get into it on the next episode. It's John Wayne Gacy. I really want to... Because he was around the time that Jeffrey Dahmer was. I think he was right after Jeffrey Dahmer or during or something. I can't remember. Um, but these are serial killers, okay? So I kind of had the thought today. I was like, I wonder if there's any serial killers that have been possessed by negative entities. You know, some serial killers, I think, were just like sick in the head and had their own issues. But some of them, I'm like, why would it be far-fetched if they were possessed in some way by some negative entities? You know, you hear about the stories of like, the Conjuring House, the Amityville House, you hear those stories of it being paranormal-related violence. So what if... I was thinking, what if... I was high, obviously. Thinking, you know, what are there serial killers out there who claim to have been possessed? You know, like Richard Ramirez. I feel like he had some sort of demonic, like, attachment or something within him that was so negative i just get a different feeling from him versus like jeffrey dahmer it's just such a different 
feeling I get. So I, I don't know, I wonder as a psychic too with that energy, if what I'm feeling is a demon or what I'm feeling because Richard Ramirez just seems so much more dark. Like his aura, his energy just seems so much darker than Jeffrey Dahmer to me. But they both committed horrible acts of violence that, you know, you would think their energy would be similar, but it's it's not to me. So let's go into the no notorious U.S. serial killer known as BTK. He revealed that he believes a demon inside of him drove him to murder 10 people, including two children. In a previously unheard interview, Dennis Rader opens up about his crimes as well as his childhood soon after he confessed 13 years ago. So he had already confessed. Now he, now he's saying that he thinks a demon was making him do it. I don't know. Okay, let's read more into this. So his, I guess BTK, his nickname stands for Bind, Torture, and Kill which I guess is what he would do with his victims. He was arrested in 2005 and is serving, a t is serving 10 consecutive life sentences at a Kansas prison for his crimes. And this is what he said in an interview. I want the people of Sedwick County, the United States in the world, to know that I am a serial killer. He said, I personally think and know it's not very Christian, but I actually think it's a demon within me. Maybe he means figuratively. Maybe he doesn't mean like there's actually a demon like possessing him. Maybe he thinks there's, you know, an inner demon in there. And they even asked if he had any feelings for the 10 victims that he had killed. And Raider replied, yes, I do. I mean, I have a lot of feelings for them. He said that I guess it was more of an achievement for this object in the hunt or sort of more of a high. So he would kind of get like this high killing these people. Raider was a former church leader and lived at home with his wife and two children. He hid all of his killings from his family and said in an interview that he started noticing his dark side back in eighth grade. Ooh, this picture of him so creepy looking. He previously said, he previously said that lust and desire for fame and power drove him to murder. For over 30 years, Raider evaded authorities but continuously taunted police about the killings, which later led to his downfall. So again, he got too cocky, too confident. That's usually what happens. So these are the murders he committed. He killed the mother and father as well as their two children ages 11 and 9, the or Oteros. The Oteros was the family's name. Um, and their third child discovered the carnage when he came home from school later that day. Wow. Could you imagine walking in and seeing your entire family murdered? Oh my gosh. That gives me, uh, that makes me sick. Raider's next murder was a few months later when he killed 21-year-old Catherine Bright by stabbing her to death in her home. Three years later, he reappeared in 1977 when he entered the home of 24-year-old Shirley Vian. Raider locked her children in the bathroom and strangled the woman. He strangled another woman later that year, which put every resident of Wichita in fear. In 1985, he strangled 53-year-old Marine Hedge in her home in the suburbs of Wichita. 
He later strangled two more women in 1986 and 1991. So it seems like he had some sort of vendetta with women. Maybe he was neglected by a woman as a child or treated poorly by a woman and didn't feel dominant. That's kind of what I'm feeling as if he, you know, had to reclaim his dominance and power over women. Um... I mean, anyone who can do that, I honestly could believe that there's a demon in them. I could believe that. It seems like he thinks there's there's something dark in him. There's something there. So what if it is a demon? What if it is a demonic entity or negative entity influencing him to do these things too, on top of him having his own issues? Okay, now I'm going to go into more demonic possessions that led to people killing or people believe that these demons led them to do it in a way i don't know okay so this article is called 13 horrifying real life crimes committed by demons an uber driver claimed his driving app forced him to kill after uber driver jason brian dalton went on a shooting spree killing six people in the early hours of february 21st 2016 People wondered what would drive a man to commit such heinous murders. Was it money? Was it revenge? It turned out the real reason was something much more insidious. Dalton told detectives that the Uber app on his iPhone had taken over his mind and forced him to commit murder. That kind of sounds like maybe some sort of like schizophrenia or something. I, I could be wrong. Like severe... Um, Dalton explained that when he opens up the Uber taxi app, a symbol appeared in which he recognized that symbol as the Eastern Star symbol. Dalton acknowledged that he recognized the Uber symbol as being that of the Eastern Star and a devil head popped up on his screen when he pressed the button on the app, and that is when all the problems started. But it's not just the app demon forced him to kill, it's... It's also helped him get from place to place in a timely manner. Dalton explained how you can drive over 100 miles per hour and go through stop signs and you can get and you can just get places. Dalton wishes that he would have never spoken what the symbol was when he saw it on his phone. Dalton described the devil figured as a horned a horned cow head or something like that. And then it would give you an assignment and it would literally take over your entire body. Man, that gives me goosebumps. What would you, what do you guys think of that? What, this man really believed that this Uber app, which is just so bizarre because like there's so many weird apps out there and like out of all of them, it's the Uber app that made him go kill people. Maybe there was something in his home that was kind of, messing with his mind or he had some sort of mental illness i don't know but that's pretty scary new york city during the summer of 1976 was a hotbed of anger frustration and fear and david berkowitz didn't help the matter by killing six people and wounding seven others in the span of one year after his arrest berkowitz told police that he was under the control of a demon named harvey oh it had a name who inhabited his neighbor's dog and implored him to kill people. So he's saying this demon took over his neighbor's dog and was telling him to kill people. Is that possible? 
you think of skinwalkers and stuff though they can take the form of dogs but possessing a dog to like why wouldn't it possess him why the dog let's read more into this once during a three-month break from his murder spree Bert Berkowitz wrote the New York Post to say, I am still here like a spirit roaming the night, thirsty, hungry, seldom stopping to rest. After being incarcerated, he became a born-again Christian, but he still believes that the devil and God are fighting for possession of his soul. Whoa, that's dark. So he believes... Wow. That definitely sounds like a dark internal battle. If he believes God and the devil are literally fighting over his soul, that just has to be so much chaos going on in his mind and in his life and anger and frustration. I mean, Pazuzu Algarid was arrested in 2014 for killing a person and then burying them in and then burying the body in his backyard July 2009, as well as helping his girlfriend bury someone she killed later that year. So, his girlfriend killed too? How did these people find each other? He had taken the name Pazuzu in reference to a demon mentioned in The Exorcist, and he had a forked tongue and sharpened teeth. Mmm. An anonymous man who lived at the home where the bodies were buried told police that he felt Pazuzu was possessed. It was very serpentine and his eyes would kind of get a little like glazy, like almost not there. Like the inner part of him would kind of phase away. You could tell when his demons needed something from him because they took over. About once a month, it was usually on a full moon, they sacrificed at least one rabbit, and then he would eat the heart of it, then burn the flesh of the rabbit. My man's is doing demonic fucking rituals. Investigators on the scene later deemed this home as unsafe for human life. Yeah, I mean... I wonder if they used the... I wonder if they started with animals to sacrifice, like rabbits and stuff, and then went over to humans to sacrifice. Like, I wonder if the, you know, the humans that... Because if the girlfriend did it too and she was into that stuff, it just seems like they took the next step in it. I wonder if they summoned anything or what it did. Because I truly believe in sacrifices. I believe in like hexes and witchcraft i don't know i feel like there's some darkness there and there's some weird shit that we don't know about out there with this this stuff that people do Ooh, i've heard about michael taylor and despite undergoing an exorcism whole ass exorcism michael taylor savagely murdered his wife and their dog and we will get into that in the next episode of Intoxicated. There's a lot of interesting topics I wanted to talk about, but we will talk about it in the next episode. Make sure you guys are following me on social media, K-E-L-S-I-I-D-A-V-I-E-S-S. Also on YouTube, it's K-E-L-S-I-D-A-V-I-E-S. Please don't forget to give Intoxicated five stars. Please give us five stars. That would, I would really appreciate that. Uh, we have intoxicated merch. Go check that out. And I'm really high, so I'm trying to do my outro the best. I I'm trying to keep it together, everyone.
If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you guys are subscribed. Also hit that notification bell so that you guys know when I post. And I will catch you in the next episode. Stay woke, everyone.